0: Hey, this is Matt. Just wanted to let you know that Series 1 is on a brief break. Uh, I've been overwhelmed with work, but I decided that this would be a great opportunity to finish out some past work that's already been written, but I hadn't got around to airing yet. The first episode of this story, My Very Strange Neighbor and My Very Unsightly Back, originally aired back in January of 2016, So you may want to go back and check out that episode before listening to this one, which is part two. Now, with that being said, let's get to the episode. Welcome to Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and narrated by Matt Herzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled, My Very Strange Neighbor and My Very Unsightly Back, Part 2. When I awoke, my body felt weak and my head heavy. I was sitting in a bedroom, covered completely under a pile of coats and old shredded newspaper. I was lapping a puddle of my own drool. The sheets of the bed and sleeves of worn clothing were stuck to my face. But from what, and how come, I couldn't tell. My hands came back with sticky globs of goo that I all but peeled away like a reptile that had shed its old scales. Sticky and turgid like old gummy candies left out in the sun by spoiled children, I couldn't get the stuff free of me no matter how hard I shook my hands and fingers. Finally, I would wipe them clean wherever and however I could, but it was dark in the room. And I fumbled around a bit, a mystery in the black of what it was I would be touching. Then it occurred to me that I was no longer in pain. Instead, the squirming feeling of agony from my lower back was replaced by a simple warm sensation, one that emanated from my lower back and down into my buttocks and legs. Immediately I reached into the unending portion of my unsightly back, the spot where my body no longer needed to stretch on longer than it was supposed to. My fingers found stitches where her knives had made her incisions. A clear rectangle had been removed, that extra skin from my unsightly back. I was finally rid of it, like removing foam or cushion from a chair and then sewing back together the ends. My skin had been drawn tight, like I was meant to stand up super straight from this point further. Needless to say, I was relieved to finally be rid of such an unsightly and awkward feature, but then something else began to nag at me. I needed to see it. I needed to look at it properly, with the scrutiny the way that I had before. I needed a mirror Just to be perfectly certain that it was gone, and I was that much better. Also, I wondered about my filthy neighbor. What had she done with it, the part of me she had removed? She had been quite obsessed when I was lying beneath her. Also, why was my head so fuzzy and confused? making everything difficult to focus upon, making the whole room move like a merry-go-round. Had I been drugged? Was that what that was? Had she put me under? Gingerly, I took careful steps to quickly make my way out of the room. I figured I should investigate, as Keeney was nowhere to be found. However, my search continued as I stuck my head into each room of her apartment, Determined to find her. Let me just say, yes, her place was very filthy. No matter where I went, I was always stepping on something. Garbage and refuse and remnants of her scavenging expeditions. This was just the stuff on the floor, too. On her walls were lashes and netting and very old coils of rope of all sorts and of all kinds. But for what, I ask? But for what? From another room at another end of the apartment is where I get my answer. A far-off room that I hadn't noticed before, when I was stumbling around, trying to keep my head straight. Not words, nothing spoken, nothing said. The sound I hear is a rapid ticking or clicking or clacking. Tick, click, clack. Tick, click, clack. Tick, click, clack. It's very faint. And there seems to be another sound that goes along with it. I strain and clear the wax out of my ears with my fingertips. Then in the silence, I hear it. An off-putting and muffled giggle. Keeney's sick laughter. The sound is kept under her sleeve, which must be pressed up to her lips to avoid an outright outburst, like a vehicle, a machine that is activated by short and sharp nervous affectations, and the engine refuses to turn over into a full-thrumming chortle. It is not an accompaniment. It is a brief interlude that sounds between the tick-click-clack A REACTION Deeper into her apartment, I find myself holding on to my own arms way too tight. Every step is managed around a pile of garbage. Every foot closer makes the sounds louder and quicker. When I get to the doorway of the room that makes them, the one that I had not noticed before, they are in full swing like an instrument picks up the pace taking its place in a song. Tick, click, clack. Ooh. Tick, click, clack. Ah, ha, ha, Tick, click, clack. Hee hee hee. Around the corner of the doorframe, I carefully perch, slowly gazing in, fearful of what I would find, as if just the sight of her was more than enough to deter me. Know what I mean? More than enough to make hairs stand on end and goose pimples spatter across my arms. What I saw, however, was the woman in question, but sitting quite plainly. She was sitting with her legs crossed in front of an, an odd coffee table, its surface shodden with old bottle caps, but it was the thing that she had in front of her that she hovered over that she feverishly examined with her tongue on her lips. That thing almost caused me to give myself up with a scared cry when I saw it. It was my very unsightly back. Well, what was left of it, I guess. The part she had removed from me, where the stitches were beginning to sting as the drugs were beginning to wear off, my fingers absently felt under my slightly unbuttoned shirt, making their way to the ice-cold flesh and the thread that bound my skin back together in place. It was as if I could feel the absence of it, the phantom pang of something missing, and that something was a blob of flesh, like unformed pink clay or unneeded dough, and it languished at the bottom of an earthen bowl on that bottle cap table. Oh, And it was alive, too. That filthy neighbor of mine hovered over it intently, curiously watching it quiver in response to her poking and prodding. The metal, rusting, dental instruments that she'd probably found in a dumpster. Well, she used them like a mad scientist. A twisted soul who delighted herself in sick experiments of this strange caliber. But the sound? Where did the sound come from? as she cooed and tittered at my poor helpless unsightly back the piece of me that was at her mercy and then came the answer kinney held her arms out with hands pressed firmly onto the table and elbows akimbo she closed her eyes outstretched her neck and pointed her chin then her unkempt hair began to shudder that mass of filthy locks that were all haphazardly bound up. It began to move like there was something inside, something stirring. Then the sound started. Tick, click, clack. Like toenail clippings. Like chomping teeth. Like the click of the tongue. Tick, click, clack. Ooh. Kini crooned as the tendrils of her hair parted, as the strands splayed, as the follicles flattened. What emerged was a creature, as her hair came undone and fell away. It was the size of your fist and covered in dark fur. Its bulbous body had six legs. The bottom four ended in paws, and the front two were curved upward and extended in small little hands a pose to be made like the creature was perpetually praying. The head of the thing extended out with an elongated snout that was pointed at the end, where a mongrel's nose fit haphazardly, like an afterthought. The creature opened its maw to yawn, and inside its mouth was a barbed tongue between two rows of yellow kernel-like teeth which it tested with the ends of its two outstretched arms and their outstretched hands, the sound of which came from two outstretched clawed fingers. Tick. Click. Clack. The very first thing that this creature did was lazily walk out from its nest on top of Keeney's head. There it stopped for a second, standing over her nose and its head over her mouth. It raised its hind leg, squatted, and drowsily jettisoned its waist. Right onto her cheek, right there on her face, just under her eye. A small pile of messy, dripping, globby feces. It had pooped. It had crapped right on her face. Keeney wiped the mess away and it smeared across her cheeks from the back of her hand. But not until the creature was safely on its way, sauntering down the rest of her body and onto the bottle cap table, hopping down from her shoulders, waddling down the stretch of one of her pale arms, all the while making that same noise over and over again. Tick, click, clack. Tick, click, clack. Tick, click, clack clack the noise seemed to be made as the rodent chomped its teeth on its hands and those strange claws almost like a butcher sharpens its cleaver and a cat licks its lips for a freshly trapped mouse it's going to feed on my my unsightly back i thought in horror The very idea of that strange rat-like creature gorging itself on something that came from me, even if it were a pound or so of flesh, it was still my flesh. I couldn't bear the idea of the creature creature creatureing on a piece of me, stuffing my unsightly back into its maw and choking it down its throat, pushing it to those awaiting rounds of teeth with those pink hairless fingers on those pink hairless hands. It was so like a person, so very much close to my own hands, as I couldn't help but examine my own palms and fingers, the thought of which made me sick to my stomach. However, it was something more than that. It was my unsightly back that this thing was intent on feasting upon, It was good that I began to back out of the room and back around the corner. The nausea made me weak, and I needed to retreat from this horrific scene that was about to take place. But it didn't come. The creature never even nibbled on my very unsightly back. Let's go, my sweet, my little fire truck. Which must have been the creature's name, because it clicked and tacked. "'and ticked even faster. "'What a horrible name for a beloved pet! "'What is wrong with adults?' "'Anyway, I could hear a chair scuff across the floor "'and the creatures tittering in delight. "'Let's go get your brothers and sisters ready,' remarked Keeney. "'Let's get them ready for the feast.' "'I'm not sure what that meant exactly.' But now I knew there were more of them, more clicking, ticking, tacking, that noise. It would drive me insane if I was forced to hear it in orchestra. Well, what about me? And what about me lying down in the other room on my face? What happens when she decides to check in on me and finds me missing? Never mind that. What happens when she finds me now, as they were coming right for me? Then I did what I didn't want to do, but what I needed to be done to avoid being spotted. I hid as she walked right past me. I disappeared into a mound of garbage, just laid back into it, and it enveloped me like it was a soft and yielding foam. It was as if I was resting on a pile of sofa cushions that swallowed me whole a smelly, sticky, sharp, and rusting pile of sofa cushions, if there ever was that sort of thing. I felt trapped within them, and the mound held me in place, swallowing me completely within it. When Keeney passed by, when I was done holding my breath... When I was sure she was gone for a while and the seconds counted became minutes in my mouth as I whispered them aloud, then, and only then, I emerged from the refuse pile and made my way into the next room. What I found there was difficult for me to comprehend at first. It was like a bright shining wall of shelves that had large plant lamps perched from corner tips and oddly reconstructed ends. Rows upon rows of shelves that were filled with large glass jars that were topped with bright shining metal lids. In those jars were things that before and now I could not have comprehended. Floating in those jars, those horrible things, like silly putty suspended in a strange transparent jelly. Mounds of flesh were in those jars, Mounds of flesh just like my very unsightly back, but different still, and suspended in place, yet very much alive. How did I know this? I'm not exactly sure, but I could feel them somehow. The mounds of flesh were alive, and they were conscious, and they were hurt and in pain. They were scared, too, just like my own unsightly back, just like me. It was like I could feel them being afraid, an emanation or a wave that started like a droplet in water and grew larger from the source. My own piece of flesh, the epicenter of this wave of fear, it floundered like a fish in the clay receptacle that Keeney had kept it in. I went closer to them, guarding my eyes from the bright light, my hands like a visor, as I examined those pieces of flesh. Upon closer inspection, they seemed to be in much worse shape, and I knew why as my eyes scanned the once soft pink flesh that was now scarred and bruised and cut, covered in sick little bruised spots and splotches of purplish-yellowish-red. There was something on the jars, too, masking tape, a single piece each haphazardly stuck under the surface of each jar, on which was inscribed a letter and a number in oil pencil, 4B-1C-3B-2A, and on and on and so forth. But what did it mean? She was feeding them to the rat-like creatures, the ones that crapped on her face. She was keeping them alive, like catalogued specimens. Some of them were mostly fresh, like my own. Some were much worse for wear. And some were still chewed upon, so much that their exteriors were flayed and gnawed and torn apart. "'There you are!' exclaimed Keeney. She stood in the doorway surrounded by a host of the creatures. "'I call them Dual Geese!' she said, all cutesy, as they skittered around her, running back and forth between her arms and shoulders, and a quick trip up to the top floor to use the bathroom, and then resuming the chase." They seemed like such mean little creatures, biting each other's long-feathered fur tails, clawing at each other's bulbous yellow eyes, showering poor Keeney, that filthy and disgusting thing in a wave of bouncing, sticking, smearing droppings. She had dressed them all up in tiny little outfits, each one of them unique, and there were too many to count. There was a little policeman outfit on one, a little construction worker for another, a little maid, a little butler, a little jet pilot, a little race car driver. One of them had an apron, one of them had a raincoat, one of them had a poncho, and one of them had oversized glasses. One was a holiday helper, one wore a homemaker's dress, and one, the one that I recognized, Wore red painted sides and wheels, and had a long white ladder on its back. Fire truck! she commanded, and the one in question came to attention. It was poised on her forearm, its beady eyes budding out of its skull with anticipation, as if feverishly throttling its tiny hands in and out of its mouth. They're alive! i told her they're alive and you're feeding them to those things dual geese, she corrected i call them dual geese, and they are always very very hungry as soon as she finished fire truck loomed from his perch preparing to strike and the others were not too far behind them they weren't playing any more at least not with each other. Now that they had spotted prey. You've been listening to My Very Strange Neighbor and My Very Unsightly Back, Part 2, written and narrated by Matt Herzberg, copyright Wednesday, April 11th, 2018. The intro music for this episode is done by kevin mcleod for more information check the show notes in this episode description for more stories like this one as well as ebooks and information about the city that forgot to stay clean check us out online at www.distinctpoplar.com or through our social media just search for distinct Poplar on facebook instagram or twitter stop by say hello